Hello, Roadwork listeners. You are about to get a sample of the secret bonus content, the after show, that we usually reserve just for our Patreon supporters. You're going to get to hear it right here in the regular feed of our regular show because John and I had the idea that this might be a way to share what we do there with our non-supporting listeners in the hopes that a few of you might like it so much that it might change your mind and you might decide that you're willing to support the work that John and I do here to make this show possible for you. We asked our Patreon supporters which episode they thought would be the best one, the most representative of what happens in the after show, and what you're going to hear is the after show for episode 145, which happened a number of weeks back, but uh, it's apparently a crowd favorite, and I'm really happy to share it with you. If you feel inclined after listening to support us, and we sure hope you do, you can go to patreon.com slash roadwork. Contribute a dollar, contribute five a month, whatever you think uh, you're able to do, and we really, truly do appreciate it. And so here you go, that bonus episode. I hope you enjoy it. Like I was talking to Jonathan Colton this morning, and he said, my home in Brooklyn is also one of these places. And it is, right? I mean, it, from the outside, it looks like a, a typical sort of brownstone in Brooklyn, in Park Slope. But it's down the slope. It's down by 3rd Avenue instead of up by 9th Avenue. And within Park Slope, that matters a lot. Yeah. And then... His neighbors ride motorcycles. So someone coming to visit is going to see a bunch of motorcycles next door. Right. And then when you walk inside, you realize that at some point, some prior owner pulled up the hardwood floor uh, on one of the floors. And so it's just, and then they shellacked the subfloor. Uh, which was a weird choice. Anyway, from floor to floor, you get this feeling in his house like, huh, interesting. You know, it's a it's a cool house. And when Jonathan bought it, it was like they wanted to live in Park Slope and this was where they could this was where they could get. Just like my house. Like I wanted a weird old house and this was what I could get at the time. And I forget like, oh, it's a, it's kind of weird here. You know, it's not, it's just, it's not a cookie cutter bungalow on a street where everybody is driving a Volvo. Right. And maybe at $700,000, you can still find one of those some in some other neighborhood in Seattle enough so that the, that the audience for this house is, I mean, clearly like, so one of these days, someone's going to come along and say, oh, yeah, I'll buy your house. And I'm going to go, great. I mean, I'm surprised that, it, that it, it hasn't sold already or that you haven't got some really good offers. I'm really, really surprised, especially with how it's been staged. Well, I'm devastated because you cannot help but start to take it personally. Like, this is my house. It is imbued with... A lot of spirit, and I have done a lot of work on it, 
especially in the last year, this house is in much better condition than when I bought it. And I'm proud of it. I think it's a groovy place. And so it's, so it hurt my feelings a week ago when there were no offers and it has continued to hurt my feelings uh, more so all the time. And also the other thing was that I moved over uh, to my daughter's mother's house with the expectation that I would sell my house and then I would move back into it. Right, right. Yeah, your your plan, as you had said here, was you know that you would you would do what you needed to do to get it sold, and then you'd have a thirty day time period during which you could, yeah, maybe two months where you could go back to living there again. <laughs> Go back to living, make an offer on another house, yeah. maybe have one of those smooth transitions where I just had a set of movers move the stuff from here to there and not have to put everything I own into a shipping container. Mm-hmm. But here it is another week and um, and I can't even be in my own house without a realtor coming by. Now, there there has been a somewhat of a bittersweet collateral fact factor and it's much sweeter than it is bitter but that is you know my whole life with my daughter which is now eight going on nine years i have lived apart from her mother by design. We are co-parents of our kid. And, um, and that co-parenting relationship is, I think, very healthy. Mm-hmm. My own parents were divorced when I was young. And they spent my childhood fighting. And they fought over me and my sister. Mm-hmm. And they fought using my sister and me as instruments of combat. We were held in abeyance and we were terrible. Um, and then as they, as we matured, they started to fight over parenting style. And so from, from week to week, from home to home, we were subjected to very different philosophies of parenting that the subjection to them was exaggerated by the fact that my two parents wanted to prove to one another that they knew how to craft us into successful humans where the other did not. You know, my parents were both very smart people, professional people, admired people, but they could never, they never figured out how to, um, put their differences aside in order to protect their children from their insanity. Right. And, you know, we were middle-class people, so I was never deprived of food. But at one point, my mom was mad at me, and she said, you can no longer live here in my house. And she turned my bedroom into a guest room. And so I went and lived with my dad, um, who at the time was practicing what he thought was his 
new style of parenting that was going to prove my mom wrong about how kids are raised. But my dad was also like a narcissist living his own life. So his style of parenting was applied in a very spotty manner. Like he would sometimes be all up in my face about stuff. And then he would for three or four days, he'd be like, I've got some stuff to do. And he would just be sort of absent, not come home type of thing. Not really like super blowing my mom's parenting style out of the water, except she had turned my room into a guest room. (laughs) And over time, you know, I would go to my mom's house. I would have dinner over there. I would not be invited to stay. But during that period, my mom was in a relationship with an alcoholic and they were so caught in a, and he was living there, uh, all through junior high and high school, this, this man lived in our home and I just sort of blotted him out for most of my life, but he was sure there and he was sure drinking hard and they were so locked in a weird codependency that they just kind of were also absent, both emotionally and physically absent. Sucks. So that gradually I moved back into my mom's house without anybody noticing. I just started to come in with my key and go up to my guest, the guest room, which had been evacuated of all my belongings and turned into like a guest room. Although my mother never had a guest in her home her entire life. No one ever stayed over. She did not have any friends or relatives that would ever spend the night. So the guest room, like a, in a style of just theater, it was a theatrical guest room. And partly what she imagined, like uh, someone who had come from nothing and was now a success would have a, a room in their home that was the guest room, just as they would have a formal living room, which we also had in that house, a living room where we were not allowed to go and sit unless it was Christmas. Anyway, I gradually moved back into the house, but like slinking around with my shoulders up, hoping no one would notice me. And I think I found my clothes in a box or something and Mm. like started to kind of live out of this cardboard box that I'd found at the bottom of a closet until it was fait accompli and it was never addressed again. No, neither my mother or father ever said, wait a minute, don't you not live here? I just kept living there and everybody went along. And that was true until I went to college. I mean, I never was formally reinvited. I, I think at one point I put up a Beatles poster on the wall and felt like, well, I guess no one's taking it down. You know, I live here again. Right. But this is all the kind of shenanigans that I wanted to spare my daughter. And what I thought was I would spare her this by knowing myself and knowing that I am impossible to live with and knowing that I am not someone who, uh, for whom romance papers over problems, I don't want or need a caretaker or another person. And I don't feel like I want or need a partner in right, anything. Right. I feel like a solitary and, and complete person 
not the half of a larger thing. And so knowing that about myself, when my daughter was born, I considered the prospect of she and her mother and me living together. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is a recipe for disaster. And I've seen the results (laughs) of this disaster, which is growing resentment, anger, frustration, and then uh, estrangement, estrangement in within a cloud of anger and resentment that then effectively results in people living apart and being co-parents, but under a cloud of awful feelings. So let's just skip all the awful feelings, skip all the war and battle, skip all the, you know, the, hard times and just go directly to friendly co-parenting where there's no, where, you know, there are always feelings, right? And there are feelings of missed opportunity. There are feelings of, of, um, regret or whatever that, that, that these things are true, but there's no feeling where you look to the other person and say, you lied to me. You promised me you would love me forever. You promised me, you know, a rose garden. It was always just like, there there are no promises here. We're just going to try and do the best we can. Well, I have watched a lot of friends who were extremely dubious about the, the prospect of this. Um, in the subsequent years, get divorced from their loving spouse. Right. Uh, some of them had kids, and then all of a sudden, dad moved out into a nearby apartment, and they saw him twice a week, and he and mom didn't talk anymore, and they were fighting over money and who owned the house. Right. Or dubious people, you know, couples that were very dubious of my plan or our plan, <clears throat> who didn't have kids, although they'd planned to. And got divorced acrimoniously before they had kids, thank God. And now they don't talk anymore and they've both, you know, moved on to other relationships, but they've kind of, they blew up the, the friend community. And meanwhile, my daughter's mother and I and my daughter have a very happy family. We see each other every day. We are deeply involved in one another's lives. And my daughter's mother and I are the closest of friends. And there is, you know, there is a feeling like wouldn't, if we were a traditional family, there would be other things, other benefits. Mm. But I also know about myself that I cannot operate within that world. I am too independent and too broken and too like not just not broken because I'm not fixable. You know, I am what I am. Well, so living with them for the last two weeks, living in their guest room. Yeah. And again, a guest room where I'm just, there's nothing of mine in there except my, except this little box full of my shirts. But living there, I, I'm participating in the mundanity of family. 
in a way that I have not throughout the course of my daughter's life. I Even when she would are, come and stay with you for periods of time? She, she would come and stay with me for long periods of time, yeah. but then her mother was not around. Oh, I see. So it's the dynamic of having her as well as the girl all in the same yeah. place day and night. Exactly. We wake up in the morning and the three and her mom is getting ready for work and I make her a little breakfast and we sit at the table and we talk about school and then her mom comes in and we all talk about what's going to happen that day and what's going to happen that afternoon. And then I pick her up at school and we meet her mom for dinner and then we read a book or watch America's best dance competition show, whatever that is. And then I put her to bed and then in the morning I'm there again and it, and there's nothing different really because I'm often there in the morning to take her to school. I'm, I always pick her up, you know, on days when it's, when I'm scheduled to pick her up, we go, we have dinner together almost every night, but that constancy, that presence in their house over the last two weeks, I'm watching her flourish in a way where she feels like a question has been answered, like a problem has been solved. Mm -hmm. Everyone's together now. And it's going, it's going swimmingly. Her mother is also glad that I'm there. She said to me the other day, I sleep better when you're in the house. And it all feels very nice. And I know there's a monster looming inside me, mm. which is this, this person that needs to be alone and needs to be, <clears throat> and it's not once to be alone. You know what I mean? It's not a thing where it's like, grow up, get over yourself. Right. It's like needs and my grandfather, my mother's father, as I've described before, went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. That's just crazy. And when they found him, he was living in a different state and they forced him to come back and he married another woman. And then like you know, before mom, he got a divorce. No, no, no. My grandmother died. Oh wow. My my grandfather left for a pack of cigarettes and didn't come back and my grandmother died. And when I was young, the story was that she died of a broken heart. Oh man. This is what they told me Jeez. growing up. Grandmother died of a broken heart when grandfather left. Oh god, you can't tell a kid that. Now later on it turned out that the story m morphed and she had died of bad well water that she drank on the court, you know, died of dysentery or something. And I was like, that's the weirdest story I've ever heard. I thought she died of a broken heart. And then in later years, you know, recently my mother has said that she thought that her, that her own, because my mom was only two years old, mm -hmm. but now my mom speculates that she died of a botched abortion. Because after my grandfather left in the middle of the night, she was pregnant with a third child and wasn't, and was terrified to raise it alone. So this man did this thing multiple times. 
he married another woman and left in the middle of the night to get a pack of cigarettes. And he was the golden child of this family, college educated, um, you know, handsome, the favorite son. And he brought disgrace to the family. And in his behavior, because he would do a thing where he would, he would come home and go upstairs. And then after everyone else in the family had had dinner and gone to bed, he would come downstairs and be awake all night. According to my mom, reading history books. And then right before everyone else woke up, he would go upstairs and they would come down and have breakfast and go off to school. And then he would sleep some amount of time and then he would come down and go to work as a bus driver. And then, and it was long distance bus driving. So he would go to Lima, Ohio and spend the night and then he would drive back this type of thing. And in his behavior, I recognized myself at a young, mm. young, youngish mm -hmm. age. I felt the same desire to only be in the house when other people weren't there. And if people were there, I wanted to go up to my guest room and close the door. And then when everyone else had gone to sleep and the house was quiet, I would come out and I would go downstairs and honestly fucking read history books. So I saw myself in this man who was, who had destroyed lives, you know, was a, was a monster. And he seemed helpless to not do it. And I felt helpless to be any way other than what I was. But now I see that at, at some point I'm going to move out of this house. I'm not going to be there every morning. I'm not going to share in that mundanity of family that my daughter really thrives on. And how do I do that? You know, how do I take that away from her? Even though I'm only moving a mile away to my own wonderful house where she'll have her own room and we'll see each other every day. That same, you know, my whole plan to get closer to her and to be in her life every day, but never quite have that, you know, never be there on those days when she rolls out of bed and is in a shitty mood, never, you know, not sit and watch dumb TV with her mom, you know, not just be there for the like, Oh, can you change that light bulb kind of thing? I mean, I change their freaking light bulbs. I just come over. Right. She says, I it's need just the difference. Is, it is like the, the day to day interaction and presence and all of that. Yeah. Which is, which is almost exactly the stuff that I have always sought to avoid because it's boring because it's, well, it's boring. And it's also the thing that gets on my back. You know, it's the, like, where have you been? It's the, um, you know, I, 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 I've, I've always gone out at night and just driven around. There's nobody else on the streets. I drive around really slowly. I go up and down streets that I've never been. Because that's not creepy. It's and it's hard to defend in the sense of people go, "Where have you been?" And it's like, "Well, I've been driving around doing what? 
do nothing. Right. Well, that's weird. Are you sure that's what you were doing? Are you sure you weren't doing something else, something something bad or something weird? Well, no. I mean, unless driving around at night going slowly up and down streets is weird. Well, it is. You know, somebody said somebody said to me the other day, like, you don't have a TV. What do you do? I said, I, sl- I, s- I sit and think. I don't, you know, I sit and think. And that's a real activity. It's not a thing... I mean, people have all, my whole life done this, where they walk in and I appear to be doing nothing. So they're like, hey, let me talk to you about some dumb shit. And I'm like, I was actually doing something. And and it's a hard thing to defend because what I was doing is imagining what would happen if I was put in charge of Amtrak. Now, <laughs> that's not as important as making dinner and watching TV together. But I was in the middle of what would have been four hours of imagining what it would be like if someone put me in charge of Amtrak. I had a whole, I was in the middle of explaining my plan to a room full of people in my mind. And it's important to me. It was important to me. I, my, my plan got interrupted, my thinking about it. <laughs> right. And I can't get back to it. Or, you know, I have to get back to it. And I have to go drive around or go for a long walk. And watching TV makes me mad because I'm watching somebody else's imagination brought to life. I'm listening to somebody else's stupid story. Um, and I don't, I, I prefer my own stupid story to fucking lost or whatever, somebody mm-hmm. else's imagination where they uh-huh. got some, they got some uh, attractive people who aren't very smart to pretend that they're lost on an Island and they didn't even think their story through. 